0: Remnant, we talked about the remnant last week, talked about the fact that you were the remnant. Did you uh, walk your life out this last week as a remnant? Uh, You know, a lot of times we think of remnant as not so cool. The remnant pieces of fabric are thrown on the back table to be sold for a very low price because they don't carry the value, right? Or the remnant chunks of wood after you have built something or what else do we have that's remnant? I don't know. The remnant of dinner. You know, those are the best parts of dinner is the leftovers. I. You don't like the leftovers? <gasps> Who eats the leftovers at your house? You do. Okay, I love, my boys love the leftovers. I, I cook enough to have a huge, huge bucket of leftovers, the remnant of the dinner, and uh, it's gone by midnight because they have their second dinner around 9 o'clock. Anybody else eat a second dinner around 9 o'clock? Yes, Scott knows about this because he used to live with us, and I still have. Okay, so my boys, they take their food serious. They take their food so serious that when there was a, one night, there was a remnant left over of dinner that they wanted to eat. And so they took Sharpie, a big, fat, black Sharpie, and wrote on the front, No, Scott. <laughs> it's still to this day on that piece, <laughs> on that piece of Tupperware. <laughs> no, Scott. I'm surprised you didn't do, like, no Caleb or something on one of them. (laughs) So, yeah, we fight over the remnants of food. But God's, in God's economy, the remnant is the most valuable. Absolutely the most valuable thing in his kingdom, the remnant. He holds it so highly, the remnant. And the reason that he holds it so highly is because wherever there's a remnant, there's hope. A remnant that would stand for him, there is hope. And see, God does not have an entrance into any society or into any life unless there's a remnant. A remnant of him. A shred. A piece. A person. One left standing. And if there's one left standing in a society, if there's one shred of life, of of the life of God beating and pulsing inside of your heart, God has hope. Because now he has access into your heart or access into that society. So the remnant, as far as God's concerned, is the most valuable thing. And he searches to and fro to see if there's a remnant. And if there's a remnant, he will settle on that. And the Bible speaks of many, many remnant people. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, the fall, when the fall came. See, before the fall, remember, I, and I know we've talked about this so many times over the last weeks, but please remember that, that before the fall, Adam and Eve walked in the garden in 100% good. But the cool thing about their 100% good Was that it was an incredible deep love for God? Is that it was a chosen love and it was a chosen good? God on purpose put that choice right in the middle of the garden. And he said, Don't do that and choose me. Choose not to do that and choose me. And for however long, we don't know how long, Adam and Eve walked in absolute perfect good out of choice. They chose it, they chose to obey. And they walked in 100% good. But when they chose bad, a mixture came in to the human race. God has given every single human being on the planet of the earth a free will choice. Because chosen love Chosen righteousness, chosen good, chosen no I won't or yes I will turns God's heart crazy robotic good robotic love means nothing to him religious means nothing to him but when we in our hearts we can choose to go to church or we can choose not to we can choose to stand for him or not to and when you choose to stand for him he looks at you and goes ah chosen love chosen righteousness chosen you've made that choice and god's given that to you and he will not overrule your free will. You can choose bad all the way until you die. The fact is, you probably will die in your bad. Because bad always makes death. Right? Chosen right. Chosen good. So as long as there's something in you, a shred that says, I yearn for righteousness, I choose God. God has a remnant inside of you, and he can he has hope and he has love and he has life inside of you and he has a kernel a spiritual kernel that he can work with amen but if so there's this mixture i want you to open your bible we're going to actually turn to matthew turn to matthew matthew 13 because i want you to see something jesus talks about this mixture matthew 13 and we're going to start at verse 24. So you got that verse up there, verse Matthew 13, verse 24. Oh, I'm in Mark. You know, M-A works until it hits the R and the K. And then the, the verse is just not right. I'll get there in a minute. You're there before I am. I should have put my little stickies. I always put stickies so I can go there quick and then wait for you. Okay, there it is. Matthew 13, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Very, very interesting. This speaks of exactly what we're talking about today. Funny story, if I may. Years ago, we built our first house, and uh, we were young'uns. I was 19, he was 24. So we were building a house, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and I thought he, know he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, well, he did pretty much until as you guys some of you have heard the story uh, i came home from i was in nursing school at the time i was at the hospital i drove home it was probably nine o'clock or ten o'clock at night pitch black he's got the the spotlight upstairs it's framed it's roofed and all that and he had gone and bought the plumbing pick package and he had all the pieces laid out i think i told you guys this all the pieces laid out and there he sat with his library book how to plumb a house little bit nerve-wracking. Okay, so it came time, though, to put the the yard in, and we didn't know what we were doing. We were just kids, right? And so we went and bought the grass seed, and we spread it all out, and somebody had told us, and birds were coming and starting to eat the, the seeds, so somebody told us, you know what? Go get bird seed and sprinkle it in with the grass seed. I'm like, great idea! Yeah, wonderful idea the birds will just fly down just you know go through all this grass seed till they find the bird seed and eat that right no absolutely not and i'll tell you what so we sprinkled all this bird seed i'll tell you what the next day every single one of those seeds sprouted we had the biggest crop of bird seed on the planet and the grass seed is like I can't do anything. I'm getting choked out. So I'm out there all day the next five days or ten days picking, <laughs> trying to weed my grass field because it was full of weeds. It was awful. So God, God's kingdom is like this. He went out and he sowed good seed and then went to bed, as this parable says, And the enemy came and sowed bad seed. What to do now? We have a mixture. We have two different crops growing. Two different crops growing. So when we find ourselves now in Genesis 6, we have a definite mixture. So turn over to Genesis 6. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, and they were heroes of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth, had become, and that every inclination... Of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. The evil at this point in time was unprecedented. And if you want a good description of that, get last week's CD, because I go in great detail of what we know of this evil. Because we know of it. There's other writings that discuss this time. It was unprecedented. It was lawless and licentious. To the point where it was everything was out in the open and there were no boundaries. And remember, the sons of God are the the children of Seth. And they lived up in the mountains. The children of Cain, there was two lines, two lineages that were coming from Adam. And the sons of Cain were living down in the valley. And there was a time when the sons of men... Uh, they all lived up there and they stayed clean and the leaders, the, the patriarchs down through the generations would say, don't go down to the line of Seth, but, or the line of pain, but keep yourself pure, keep yourself pure. But there was a generation of Jared. If you'll read in your, in your, uh, your lineages there in the, in chapter five, I believe it is Jared, the word Jared means to descend and during his generation, during his time, people of his lineage, his family, descended from the Mount of God down to and mixed with Canites. We got a mixture. And over the next generations, more and more and more would descend, descend down and mix with them until the only family left was Noah and his wife and three sons. He was the only. Only ones left up in the mountain. Everyone else had gone apostate. It was an unprecedented turning from the kingdom of God. All the remnant, this is a very interesting position in time because God says that even the inclination of every thought, of every mind, All the time was evil. Now, remember, I explained to you that an inclination is just the very spark of a thought. There was never even one little spark of, you know, I probably should. Or, you know, I probably shouldn't. Nah, I'll just go ahead and do my evil. There was never even the, maybe I shouldn't. There wasn't even a slight inclination within these people to not do evil. Try to imagine that the consciences of these people were so seared that there was never even a guilt, not even a pang. And that is what the remnant is within us. And it was not present in these people. This is why this is why at this point in time, God had no recourse but to judge. Our God is a God of justice. The pro, or the, it's either the Proverbs or Psalms. I can't remember. It says that God's throne, the foundations of his throne are, are justice. The very foundation of the throne that he sits on is justice. And within these people, he found no inclination of any thought. All the time. It was all evil. So he had to judge. He had to. It's in his nature. I don't want to serve a God that doesn't judge wrong. When you are parenting children, if you don't show them and let them experience the pain of wrongdoing, they became, come very confused within them of what is right and what is wrong and there is none and there's nothing, there's no fixity to their world and then all of a sudden they could do anything. You don't understand. This world would be a mess if we did not have a righteous and just God. But yet when he has to be just, we all look at him and go, you meanie. No, he should look at us and go, you dummy. (laughs) Don't do what's wrong. So I don't have to judge you. Just. Verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Who remembers what the word favor means? Grace. This is the first time the word grace is mentioned in the Bible. Now remember, we keep talking about the fact that God is the most misunderstood being on the, in the entire universe. So here we have a God whose heart is pained with the evil. He's not angry. He's pained. He's grieving. He's sad. He's hurt. All of his dreams are up in smoke. Anybody ever feel that? How do you feel then? Up in smoke. And yet this same God, who doesn't just go to all of it, he is so sensitive, he looks all over, and he finds one man, and he has now a remnant. Favor, grace. There's another time when this kind of thing happens. It's a little bit later in Genesis. So let's skip over to uh, chapter 18. If you look in chapter 18, we have another time in history when evil becomes unprecedented. But this time it's only in a few cities. Two, to be exact. Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm just going to tell you about it. We're not going to go there, but you can go there because you can watch. The evil and the clamor was so loud down there. Have you, ever know, have you ever noticed that evil has a clamor to it? Proverbs even talks about um, the foolish woman, the woman who, uh, folly. Do you remember the chapter? And she's loud and she's noisy and she's clamorous. There's, there's clamor around evil. There's a noise that happens. And, and God was hearing this clamor. And half of the clamor, actually a lot of the, the commentaries say that, that some of the clamor were the victims crying out for help. Because whenever there's evil, there's perpetration against victims. And there was a loud cry that reached God's ears. And so God sent his angels down to take a look in that city to see if it's really as bad as he want, as He thought. And those angels came down and they met Abraham. Abraham, actually, I think it was Abraham at that time. I never know when he, his name changed from Abram to Abraham. So just work with me, right? But you know, Abe. So God, God sent these angels. These angels, and, and Abraham said, "What are you doing?" And he, they say, "Well, we're going to go and check out Sodom and Gomorrah, and because God is going to judge them." And Abraham starts this lit, litany. Do you remember the litany? Oh, don't, don't destroy it. If there's 50, will you save the city? Yeah, we'll do it for 50, but there isn't. Okay, 45. Sure, I will save the city for a remnant. Remember how important a remnant is. I will save the city if there's a remnant. But there wasn't 45. Okay, 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 make it 30. 30, will you save it for 30? Absolutely, I will save it for 30. Okay, 10. Will you save it for 10? Will you stop the judgment for 10? Because there's hope if there's 10. And they said, yes, I will save it if there's 10. But there wasn't 10. There's was only 4. uh, Lot and his wife and his two daughters. So God's choice at that point is very similar to what happened with Noah. The remnant at that point, and the evil was so great that God chose to remove the remnant and judge. Paul knows about this struggle as well. Look over in um, Romans 7. Romans 7, I'm doing good for time. Hallelujah, one of these days I'm going to let you out right at 7.30. And I get a popsicle for that. Somebody put the popsicle in the freezer, get it freezing up, because I'm going to get it one of these days. Romans, where is Romans? It's after Acts. Are you at Romans? You already beat me there. Romans 7, I've been just chatting away up here. I'm going to start at verse 15. Here's Paul. Here's Paul. Paul the writer of the vast majority of the New Testament, he understands the mixture within. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do and what I hate I for and for I for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself doing it, but it is sin within me. It's a mixture. We carry it because we're fallen. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good, for what I do is not the good I want to do. Man, this is hard reading. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living inside of me that does it. Paul understands the struggle. Who feels the struggle sitting in this room? Who feels that struggle? And let me tell you what, this is the difference between Christianity and any other religion out there. There's no other religion that will write those kinds of words that are so honest and so out there. But God does because he wants to identify with your struggle. He wants to look at you and say, but it's okay. Because if there's a remnant in there, and if you will give me that remnant and you will surrender your remnant to me, then I have a spiritual seed that I can work with and we will deal with this thing. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you what. This gives me so much hope. Because sometimes I fail. Sometimes I fail. And I walk in front of all of you. And when I fail, when I get frustrated, when I say things I shouldn't say or I get mad or I don't, walk perfectly or circumspectly you know it's kind of scary to look back and see that you've got people following you but the bottom line is that god understands it the word understands it and if we will if you keep reading in that passage if you will turn jesus christ died on the cross so that you can have victory over your sin and the remnant that is warring inside of you even now to win is the very breath of God that's screaming out, that's pushing. If we can yield to that. If we can yield to that. I have something today. Actually, when I was out weeding and praying and thinking about you, God wants to tell someone in this room something. He wants to tell you that there are there's one, two, ten, I don't know. Where you have been believing for something. You have been standing for something. And it has not come to pass yet. And God is saying... I am still working because there's a remnant in that other person of whatever you're standing for. And I am working in that remnant. Pray and cover that remnant. That is your job. That is your job. Because when you activate my spirit to be able to work in another person, in another person's heart or another person's life, you guys all know as much as I don't that we can't control anybody around us, can we? And there's people around us doing stupid things. what can we do you can pray because there's a remnant in that person that god is working on that God is moving upon and you don't see it and you don't hear it and you don't feel it and you are about to give up. You're about to say, God doesn't care. He's not strong enough. He, you know, evil always wins, but he is saying, uh, uh-uh. uh girlfriend, you, you don't know almighty man of God, what the struggle that's going on, because if there's a remnant in that person, I will push and shove and I will saturate it with my presence until that person Either turns completely around and away from me or begins to come towards me. The remnant. We're not doing much in Genesis, are we? Okay, let's finish our um, wheat and tares story, Matthew. Because this is kind of the, the dispensation that we are in right now. And, you know, I am not a huge end times person, you know, teacher, dah, 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 dah. you're not going to get a whole lot of that from me. Um, I, my feeling is, as God says, get to work and I'll take care of it. Yeah. I'll, I am working. Yeah. I am doing everything I possibly can to bring the kingdom of God into this earth. That's my job. Yeah. That is your job. And if you love all the end time stuff and figured out prophecies, you go right on ahead. But if you're doing that instead of getting out there and doing your work, something's wrong, okay? You can do that on the off hours of bringing the kingdom of God into this world, all right? I'm not going to judge what you do on your off hours. Just make sure you're doing everything you possibly can to bring the kingdom into this world. You're working with me? I'm not offending anybody, right? Okay, so we've got this mixture. The owner's servants come to him and say, this is verse 27, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Uh, Chapter Matthew 13, verse 27. Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Verse 28. An enemy did this, he said. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go out and pull them up? No, he answered. That's not the right answer if you ask me. I think he should go out and do a little weeding in his patch. But apparently that's not... What he's saying. No, he said, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my my barn. There is still a judgment to come. God will judge. He will separate. He will separate. And I will agree. When I went out and tried to pick out all the bird seed that had sprouted, I pulled up more wheat seeds than I did bird seeds. So I messed up our whole thing. We had to start all over again. Huh? Rye? It was all rye. What in the world? Anyway, I can understand this. And this is the dispensation that we sit in right now. You might be looking around and going, where is God? Oh, he's there. He's watching. He's grieving the evil. But he's working his rim. He's grieving over the evil and he's working the remnant. How many of you have felt the press of God within you on the remnant of what's in you. The stretching, the pulling, the pushing, the growing, the purifying, the moving of God within you. How many of you have changed even in this last year to become more and more like him? Look around you at the hands that are up. God is not a finished God yet because he has you, you and I'm counting in here and I would say that if God were to come down to Fife and say I'm going to destroy Fife, we could honestly say, would you keep it Here, if we had three or four hundred committed people here who have not given themselves over, who have not bowed to the the gods of licentiousness, would you save it? And he would say yes, because it's here. Look around. Know, know that there is hope for this nation. There is hope for your city. There is hope for your family. There is hope for you if there's a remnant. Don't be discouraged. Satan wants to discourage you because if he can get you looking around and seeing the evil, get you bugged, get you sad, get you depressed, it's all going to die, and get you quiet and get you moved into a corner, then he has silenced the remnant. So back to Genesis 6. Back to where we were. Back to the remnant. Noah is a very, very amazing man. And his position in humanity at this point, he's spoken through throughout the rest of scriptures. He's referenced many times later on. And hopefully I'm going to be able to draw that out. But Noah was a man that in the midst of unprecedented, unprecedented darkness, He did not waver. He did not change. And I want that to be said of me. I want that to be said of you. That regardless, regardless of what's going on in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your workplace, you do not waver. But it would be said I searched the world, and I saw great darkness, and my heart was grieved and pained. But then I saw you. And God had favor on you, mercy. And that is the story of tonight. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. We talked a lot about that last week and blameless blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. We talked about what walking with God meant. Do you remember that? Dwayne and I work together all day long to keep our house moving. We work all day long, but there is a point in time after dinner where we go for a walk. We hold hands, we fall into step with each other. And we talk. We talk about deeper things, better things, the hurts of our heart, the joys of the day. And we walk with each other. It's a very different type of relationship. Many of you are working for God, living for God. But I would say to you, every single one of you, there better come a time every day when you walk with God. When you leave your work, And he loves your work. What would happen to our household if Dwayne and I quit cleaning the dishes up? I vacuumed the wood floor. I don't know how many times this week. What is up with the wood floor and the dishes and the laundry? What? We work hard. And if we ever stopped working, it would not be a good thing. God's not saying to stop working. But he says, walk with me as well. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, those guys are going to become very, very important pretty soon. So just mark my, circle their names. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. I want you to understand, in the next couple of verses as I write, I want you to talk, notice how many times God references the earth. Not just the people, but now the physical earth. And I never noticed this before until I started doing this study. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. Whoa. The the earth didn't have a choice. Well, who was put in charge of the earth? Man. Man. I have some Tupperware. We're talking about Tupperware again, Mr. Scott. I have some Tupperware, and I don't even think it's Tupperware anymore. It's those things that you get from the store that are full of meat, and then after you eat up all the meat, then you use the, you know. Okay, so I have those things, and I put my my remnants of dinner in those, right? And so I fill the bowl up, or I fill the bucket. We call them buckets at our house. What are they truly? Bowls? Containers? We call them buckets. I fill the bucket up, and I put the lid on and I put it in the refrigerator. The, the, the bucket is full. But certain foods, like salmon we had, for instance, I take it out and I wash the bucket and it is still filled with salmon. Because now the salmon has, just, has not become something that is residing within it. It has now permeated it. It has gotten inside the very fabric of that bucket. The earth is ours. God gave us the earth. We are in charge of it. We have authority over it. And God has said, even to the Israelites, wherever your foot trods, that is yours. We have a divine ability that wherever you go, you have an effect on the earth. Not just in the earth, on the earth. When we bought this property... There was a lot of tribal, this was Indian land, and there was a lot of tribal activity in this area. We did not know what has happened on this chunk of land. So there was a people before you. Carla, you were there. Who else was there way back in the beginnings? Yes, hallelujah. There was a people, though, before you. Many of you sitting here. Dina. That more than once, we all gathered here on this raw property full of weeds. Carrying Wesson oil. Walking around this property. Dumping oil everywhere. Praying in the spirit to redeem the dirt you come to to have church on. Because we have authority over the earth. And what's happened before permeates the earth. And we have a responsibility to redeem the earth. And I will tell you right now that wherever your foot trods, you're to redeem it. You don't wander through life. God sends you out. And he says that earth has been slayed with with corruption. Now go out and redeem it as a remnant. You don't just get up in the morning you get up in the morning. You don't just go back. You go about your day because God needs you to do that. So we have, we have walked the four corners of the property. I don't know how many times praying and to redeem this dirt so that you can come here and you can feel the presence of And not the presence of demonic activity from years ago. That you can, we have had people walk through and just start bawling in this place. We have had people drawn as they're driving by. Would you continue to sanctify this land? That when you come on here, you're not speaking negativity, you're not speaking curses on one another, but you are delighted to see your brothers and sisters. Okay, back to Genesis 6. We gotta get through this. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. And was full of violence. Once again, I want you to see that God sees. God is not a God that created and went away. He watches over his creation. Okay, six minutes. God saw saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. Do you hear that wording? The earth has become filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So now God's going to destroy both them and the earth. I have often thought, why did God send the flood? Why was such destruction needed? And this is the reason. The earth had become so, people had become so violent. And they had filled the earth. His grand treasure had become destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. The word there, uh, Okay, those of you who, just, who are listening on the CD, I almost dropped my Bible. That would not have been good. Corrupted, destroyed, wrecked, ruined. Corrupt. Earlier in this passage, you said, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. Up there, do you remember that word up in verse 7? I will wipe mankind. That verbiage there means like washing a dish, like cleansing a dish with water. There needed to be a complete and utter cleansing of the entire world at this point. It was so bad. So make yourself, verse 14, an ark. Of cypress wood, some of you might say gopher. Who says gopher? Some says cypress. Some says gopher. Basically, gopher. They don't know what gopher wood was. They don't know. There's no gopher trees out there anymore. But since the world was so destroyed, it very well could be have been a tree that was back then and not now, or it could just have been a different name for what they think now should have been a cypress tree, because cypress is what they used post flood for making boats cypress wood was very very resistant to water resistant to worms resistant to all of that kind of thing it's what they used to make ships out of after the flood so whether it was gopher whether it was cypress whatever okay they built a boat so make yourself an ark the word ark is a very odd word it had never been seen before or understood neither had the word flood been heard of so now God's talking crazy business. Has ever God, has God ever talked to you crazy business? What? You, what? Never heard of that. What? He's talking crazy now. The word ark there does not mean ship. It means box. What, God, what Noah built was a box. He did not build a ship. It did not have a way to be steered. It had no way of directing it. It did not have a mast. So any picture of Noah's Ark that has a mast on it, you will see in here that there is no description to put a mast on it. This was a box, a big box. This is how you were to build it. The Ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, if your numbers in your Bible are a little different than that, if it talks about cubits, whose talks about cubits? Whose talks feet? Only mine? Both. Okay. Cubit was the measurement back then from the tip of the finger to the elbow. Problem is, is, other everybody's tip of the finger to the elbow is a different length. This became a problem. Okay? So then there became a couple of different uh, rules of thumb, shall we say, for the cubit. There was the Babylonian cubit. There, you know, you think we're bad with the metric system and the whatever the other system. What's the other system called? Inches and feet. What's that called? Huh? American standard, okay? How confusing? Well, they had this cubit. Who knows how long a cubit is? So if you use certain one certain standard, you're going to get a certain number. If you use another standard, it's going to be a different number, but they're going to be pretty close. Got it? Don't want anybody looking at that going, see, the Bible is mixed up. Verse 16, make a roof for it and finish the ark within 18 inches of the top. Put a door, one door, in the side of the ark. Make lower and middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters onto the earth to destroy all life under heaven. Now, God's talking crazy again. This whole passage is crazy. How would you like God to come to you and say, go out, cut down all the trees, drag them over, hew them, square them up, build them, build a box, a really, really big box. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under heaven. Every creature that has breath of life in it established on heaven, everything on earth will will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. Covenant? Covenant? Have we heard the word covenant yet? No, this is the first time covenant comes. Did you know that any time there is a covenant to be cut, there has to be a washing, a cleansing of a sacrifice? God's about to do it. Because he wants to cut the first covenant with humankind. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring the ark, into the ark, two of all living creatures. Okay, now you're really talking crazy. Male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground. You will come, will come to you to be kept alive. Thank you, God. I have pets that I have, like one I can't keep them alive. They die. He has to keep every kind of animal alive. They will come to you to be kept alive. You will take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and them. Now, I want to give you a very quick picture in about 30 seconds, because that's all I have left. I want my popsicle. Okay, maybe I can't. Maybe you have to come back next week. But this ark... This ark that we just described has very deep meanings. It is a shadow, type, and picture of all sorts of things. One shadow and type is the ark of the covenant. It talked in here about how you're supposed to build it out of a certain wood and then cover it with pitch. Do you remember that, word, that sentence there? The ark of the covenant was built with, a, built with a certain kind of wood and covered with gold. The word pitch means covering or atonement. God wants to take us if we will stand for him. If we will walk in such a way that we find favor in his eyes. He wants to take us. The Ark of the Covenant represented his presence, his mercy seat. God does not want to destroy you with judgment. He wants to cover you with his atoning mercy. He wants to bring you into a place of being spirited away, as it is, from evil, so that when the judgment comes, you will be kept safe. The pitch atonement, one door, one way. There's, you know, uh, what's the verse say um, uh, about the? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man enters but by me. Three floors. They talk a lot about that meaning uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's so many types and shadows inside of this thing. So many types and shadows within the ark. Some would say this is absolutely impossible. I have papers here that that take those sizes and they measure it all out. And the the gross tonnage of what can be moved in that, if the average sized animal is the size of a sheep, they could hold over 125,000 of those animals. I want you to notice something in the word there. It did not say every animal. It said every kind of animal. It did not say every species. So you didn't have a cat, you know, the Persian cat and the, the tabby cat and the this cat and the that cat. You had the one of every kind. You had the ancestral cat. One of every kind. And the way they figured it out through the biological tree of of species and kind of the numbers of what would be in there, even giving a point to the ones that are probably endangered and we don't know of, there was plenty of room on the square footage of the two floors of this ark for them. It can be proven. The size of that ship was absolutely seaworthy. All of the other stories in different cultures of how this ship was made and how this ark was made are completely unseaworthy. This one is completely seaworthy. In fact, the next ship that was built to this size did not occur until 1861. And it had the same dimensions. It's a very, very doable thing. It was not built to navigate. It was built to be a saving thing that just got kind of, you know, it just, it held it all. And it just kind of, and then when the waters receded, it landed. God was in complete charge. Noah had absolutely no control over that ark. He could do nothing. When you climb into Jesus, you can't do anything. It's all by grace. That we are saved through faith and that which is a gift from God. I'm telling you what, there's so many types and shadows. One window in this thing, it's the very top. He couldn't see down, he could only see up. In the midst of the storm that you're being tossed to and fro, what are you doing trying to look out and see all the troubles so you can worry and fret and try to figure out how to steer your life? People of God, you're not steering it, God is. Look out that window to heaven. Amen. Amen. It took faith for Noah to build that ark. I'm past my 730. No popsicle for me. It took faith for God to, or for Noah to do it. Actually, don't shut that Bible. It took faith for him. When God calls you and starts talking crazy to you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If it's just as simple as don't get mad at them, forgive them. Now you're talking crazy, God. Are you kidding me? You don't know what they did to me. No, forgive them. God's talking crazy again. He's talking crazy all the time. Took faith for him to build that thing. It took faith for him to stand there as those animals started showing up. God said, he's going to bring them to you. You keep them alive. God it took faith. Can you imagine? The Bible says here, we're going to read, that he got on that ark seven days before the storm started. Seven days before the storm started. It took faith for him to climb on that boat. When God said, get in, you're like, blue sky, nothing's falling. Oh, God, I just need to do a little bit. No, get in the boat. It took faith for him to get in the boat. And the hellacious storm that happened after that. Can you imagine? What in the world were they doing in there? walk? You know? Oh, my word. And then eventually it ended. We're going to talk through the whole thing. But eventually it ended and it settled down. And then, you know, they had to get out of the boat. And they can't see down there what's going on. It took faith to get out of the boat and go back out into the world. God has saved you he's washed you he's cleansed you he's set you apart and then he says go back out there you can't hide we can't just be these christians drinking cow a milk from a christian cow and only we gotta get out there again took faith what an incredible god uh, noah what an incredible man let's read the very last verse of this chapter verse 22 let's read it together Oh, he's running. Maybe, let's see. I, maybe it's all the same in everybody's Bible. Because I want to drive the point home. Can you find it? Chapter 6, verse 22nd 20, 20, Let's say it together. Ready? Begin. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Bam. There you go. Bottom line. That's what set him apart. Let's all stand.